Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Boris Johnson continues to sink ever more into a pretty calamitous political situation. Just very quickly, we can see some of the polling today at the moment. Uh, the Tory is now 10 points behind, not looking at all good. Here's another opinion poll. There we go. Another 10-point lead for Labour. Uh, until recently, of course, the Tories were ahead. They were ahead. They've been ahead for a very long time, uh, but now have sunk very badly behind. Boris Johnson is somewhat less popular than cholera at the moment in terms of his approval ratings. Uh, what next, though? Is it the end of Boris Johnson? Are the Tories going to dispose of him? Is he going to drag them down or with him? Who could replace him? We've got so many questions. Now, we're very lucky to have our first guest. We're speaking to Matt Zarb cousin later about the broader politics, but we're very lucky to have Peter Oborn, who I'm going to bring in straight away because he's a very, very busy man. And I don't want to keep him waiting. How are you doing, Pete? It's great to see you. Hello, Owen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, indeed. Right. So I've just showed. In fact, let's look at the leader approval ratings. Johnson's net approval falls to minus 42. Now, Tory MPs, when they made him leader, thought, thought he was a charlatan, a liar, deceitful. But they thought he had a unique cut through to the electorate, particularly in key areas that the Tories wanted to win. Do you think that calculation is starting to change? Well, I, I don't, I'm not sure that they did think he was a liar, etc. I used to put it to them. <laughs> they, they insisted he was a man of upstanding integrity. And obviously, there's a, a enormous change in the perception, in his popularity in the country. He was seen as an election winner. Um, perhaps he can be again, I think, is the calculation which his allies, and remember, he does have very significant allies still um, and the Conservative Party as a general as a whole seems to be uh, supporting him and the uh, cabinet is supporting him um, and so don't uh, so that that perception is not apparently uh, changing judging by the public comments of the people who run Mr Johnson including cabinet ministers and MPs do you think this is the end of Boris Johnson? Because he's supposed to be this guy who is the Teflon politician, survives the sort of scandals that would have destroyed any other politician. Or, you know, is this the end? Or do you think he could survive? What's your, what, where, where are you at on how long Boris Johnson has left? Yeah. It does remind me of that scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Do you recollect this night? Yeah. Like to block the way of those, uh, and you know, lop off one arm and he come on up, get me, and lops off another. Uh, and according to all known rules of politics, Mr. Johnson should have gone already. Um, and yet, there he is, uh, still uh, fighting on. We have his uh, battle plan on the front page of the Sunday Times today, say Big Dog or whatever it's called. 
which seems to involve uh, a number of quotes, populist end quotes, mess, mess, messages, uh, and um, blame the civil servants. Um, and then um, we have uh, one of those populist messages, really the most, and let's just pause at this, the uh, Daily Mail front page, the Mail on Sunday front page today, um, it's now on first name terms with Nadine Dorries. Nadine's plan uh, to slash the BBC, actually put it out of business, close down the BBC is what that message is. And so there's a gift, it's an offer really from the uh, Johnson High Command to Rupert Murdoch and the big media owners to close down their biggest, they, the BBC, which they've been campaigning against, as you know, for some time in return for support. I'm wondering, because the Tory press at the moment are gunning for Boris Johnson in quite a big way, including the Telegraph. The Telegraph used to employ Boris Johnson. I mean, they paid him £250,000 a year, which Johnson famously called chicken feed. Uh, but people thought that was a way of them buying an influence. Uh, you know, they thought he could be their guy uh, to be prime minister. They backed his leadership campaign. But, you know, the, the Telegraph, they're splashing today on Carrie Johnson breaking lockdown rules. I'm just interested... I mean, maybe this is me being a bit tinfoil hat conspiratorial, but there does seem to be some decision amongst large parts of the right wing press that he's outlived his purpose. He, you know, they backed him, obviously, originally, get rid of Corbyn, sit, do Brexit, all the rest of it. Is that, do you think, an accurate reading? Because it's fascinating. These parties obviously happened a long time ago, and that was just constant, and, and, the, and the Tory press are going for him. Do you think, have they made an executive decision? What do you think? That's a conspiracy theory that these media tycoons and editors get together and consult with each other how they're going to handle it. Um, I don't think so. I think what, actually, they must feel very embarrassed that they've supported him for so long through thick and thin. Remember, The Telegraph was the paper which, um, you know, personally urged Johnson to come to the rescue of, of Owen Patterson and stop his suspension from the Commons by dismantling the standards sort of uh, set up in the Commons. And that was actually the thing which set Johnson on the uh, slippery slope. They can't ignore the papers, the views of their own readers. I, I mean, I haven't had a conversation with anyone at the Telegraph, so let me, I can't sort of appear into their mind. Um, but I did work for them. I would have thought they can't ignore the views of their readers. And if they're a political team get a story about a party, then they're going to run it. Um, they're not sort of, you know, they're still journalists. Um, and But what strikes me as more amazing, actually, is that none of the right-wing papers have, um, and that's the Murdoch group, the Associated and the Telegraph, have called on Johnson to go. So at the moment, they are supporting uh, Johnson in that way. The, the view is he's got to sharpen up his act, he's got to um, say sorry, he's got to apologise, and then uh, we can, uh, to quote the Foreign Secretary yesterday, move on. You worked for Boris Johnson at The Spectator, so you, you, you know this guy uh, from quite a while ago. I mean, what do you think currently is going through Boris Johnson's head? I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, get you sunk too much into... Cod psychology involving the Prime Minister. But what do you think at the moment? Do you think his view is toughen this out, survival mode, 
take on everyone within the Tory party who dares to circle around him. Obviously, we've heard there's 35 Tory MPs who might have put letters of no confidence in him. What do you think his own view of it? Do you think he's ra- do you think he'd be rattled or do you think he's thinking, I'm going to take this on? Yeah, well, I worked close, closely with Boris Johnson at The Spectator when he was editor and I was the political correspondent and actually he was a joy to work with, very cheerful, a razor brain um, and sort of let us all go down, get on with it. And um, if something as, and I don't, I think, and also he, I've, I rather interpreted him probably as a liberal internationalist at the time. And what we now have is the sort of uh, Tory, uh, Kind of xenophobia, really, and uh, and culture wars, which is the exact opposite of what um, the way I interpreted Johnson twenty years ago. So I'm not sure it's that much help. I mean, if you look inside, there he is. He's running the country. Um, he's getting these polls. He's got these problems. He's reacting in a way which he would have personally mocked and despised uh, in the days when he was uh, editor of The Spectator. I should have, I would have thought, I used to have a conversation every Sunday night to discuss the week ahead with Johnson. And I imagine the conversation we would have been having uh, is, shall we have the front cover of next week's paper calling on the Prime Minister to go as soon as possible before he does, does too much damage to the Conservative Party and the country, even more important. You wrote this brilliant book, The Assault on Truth, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump and the Emergence of a New Moral Barbarism, which everybody should get a copy of and read. But, I mean, aren't you a little frustrated? Because what you did in this book is document at great length the history of deceit, of dishonesty, of of twisting the, the truth, of half-truths, of just a, an incredible, you know, and you said yourself, you, the book could have been a lot, lot longer. Mm. Uh I mean, aren't you frustrated that you wrote this book showing the guy for who he is? And all of a sudden now you've got various people going, well, Boris Johnson, awful behaviour. What a shocker. Because, I mean, he, he, he wasn't exactly hiding it, was he? Yeah, it, that book, when I published it, it had a, a very nice review in The Guardian, but it was completely ignored by all of the Murdoch press, all of Associated Newspapers, uh, uh, the Express Group and the Telegraph Group. They didn't touch that that book. Um, and really, for a long time, the idea that Mr Johnson was a liar was derided and mocked um, by the uh, his his quite significant group of supporters in the in the right wing media and the Conservative Party, and I'm in the country too. I think um, it's now. But what has changed it is. Uh, is that these series of stories about parties where he said there weren't any and we're now getting more and more evidence that there were and the kind of grotesque double standards. And now it's become impossible or for all bar a very few of Mr Johnson's closest supporters, of whom there are a number, um, to, to support him. So that is why you're seeing the, the polls changing, not just in the country at large, but also among Tory activists. I mean, that's the Conservative home, which is the the voice of the Tory activists, isn't it? Is now coming up with desperate polls for Mr Johnson. Uh, just, just a couple of questions coming in from people watching. So Tad Campbell asked uh, about Peter Bone's statement, his, uh, his Tory voting constituents don't want Johnson to go. Does that sound correct? So, I suppose, interesting. I mean, some... You know, see Brexiteers. I think this is a big Remain 
conspiracy. That's what uh, one columnist wrote in the, in the Telegraph. So that's clearly tapping into something. Who wrote uh, that? As a matter of interest. Uh, it was Timothy Sta- Timothy Stanley. Tim Stanley. <laughs> Good lord! Yes, right. Absolutely. <laughs> I uh, so what's the question? I, so I shouldn't have interrupted. Uh, he, no, no, it's fine. He just said about Peter Bones. Peter Bone apparently has come out and said his Tory voting constituents don't want Johnson to go. I'm not sure. I have to say the polling suggests a lot of Tory voters. Do yeah, vote. and Nadine Dorries, I think, made a who's a cabinet minister, and believe it or not, she made a similar statement um, about her constituents. Um, the polls suggest completely otherwise, and from, uh, for what it's worth. Before arriving, going on your program, I did ring up one or two people who are, know what's going on. They're you know, very well connected at the grassroots level. And uh, they're, they're, they were saying that, that the MPs actually have a disconnect at Westminster from the, the very strong sentiment on the ground in their constituencies. Now, that disconnect is likely to change this weekend. They've, they've gone back from Westminster where they've been corralled by the Whip's office and they're hearing the views on the ground. I imagine even Mr. Bone. Uh, is hearing the views on the ground. Um, it may well be that those views are so intense that when they, there'll be a massive change of mood when Parliament returns next week. David Bowater asks, if Boris has overthrown his leader, the Tories, what are the chances he'll try to drag down other Tories or even the whole party with him? Is he, a, what do you think, a vengeful kind of... I mean, I don't know. how. What would happen? Boris Johnson being taken out. Yeah, well, I, is it, there will be a, a conspiracy theory that very like the Trump, you know, the, the liberal meet the Trumps, the conspiracy theory gathering around President Trump or the ex-President Trump, that the sort of liberal media, there was some sort of coup d'etat or something or other, some sort of establishment intervention which removed Trump. That's a very healthy conspiracy theory which may actually manage to win Trump another term of office. Uh, and absolutely, this is going to happen. That in fact, you're already seeing manifestations of it. That the so-called blob, the establishment, the liberal media, the BBC. There was a deranged piece in the Mail yesterday by some former member of, I think, the Revolutionary Communist Party called Hume. I may be wrong about his membership of the Revolutionary Communist Party. Anyway, this fellow Mick Hume was arguing that the it was arguing somehow that the uh, that there's some sort of deranged attack on the Prime Minister from the BBC as if they shouldn't report the facts. So you're going to get this, and it's going to be very very much amplified, it would appear, in the, you know, our great newspapers, which are, you know, that, 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 that Mr Johnson will be the innocent victim of, of the BBC, the civil service, people like you, Owen, will get a bit of a play. Um you know, and all de- and actually, uh, it's all some sort of mirage that uh, Johnson has misbehaved. Why shouldn't he hold the party? You know, working hard. This is a sort of all got up, <laughs> and it's so much the opposite of the truth. For the last twenty-two years, you know, the BBC is doing its best to sort of best possible uh, sort of version of Mr. Johnson's private and public conduct. You know, determinedly ignoring every sleaze scandal, every corruption allegation, and every lie, every falsehood. But that that this will definitely uh, going to get a lot of mileage. Um, will Johnson bring down the Tory Party? I do think this is a profound moment in Conservative history. 
it can well be that this is the end of the Conservative Party. Because what we're seeing now, I do think this is right, that the, the Johnson loyalists, you know, Nadine Doris, the Home Secretary, uh, Pretty Patel, uh, the, the Peter Bones of this world, they're arguing this is a sort of, this is the, the virtuous leave, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, leave world of, uh, you know, who've taken Britain out of the Euro European Union and now they're, they're suffering the revenge of the Remainers. Now, there's going to be some people in the Conservative Party um, who will buy this, others will, will see it as a sort of, will see it for the nonsense it is. But I think the Conservative Party can split if Johnson goes. You will get a, a large number of people leaving um, in disgust, uh, and then whoever takes over has to define himself or just as likely herself against the uh, against Johnson. Was Johnson a great leader who was misunderstood or was he a liar and a cheat and corrupt? I mean, it's, and so the, the leadership contest would become very, very, very tasty. The end of the Conservative Party. There's a biggie because the last time the Conservative Party split was the Corn Law. I mean, people thought they'd split over Brexit, which didn't happen. Quite but you can now. actually see that. You can see a, a, the party being ripped asunder in the aftermath. Well, I think it's the analogy, the analogy I make is with the Trump's Republicans. And so you're now going to, will Trump, Trump seems to have taken the, the Republican Party with him. And so if Johnson uh, leaves office, which I think he will, although I, get, I would say that the, the very well informed people I speak to think he won't, people... Think, think he's still got a fighting chance. I think he will be forced out. And the question is, will he take tranches of the Conservative Party with him? And and if he doesn't, will the party split? It's, it, that is where we are. And I think it, the party is in long-term disgrace, reputation, re, you know, the reputational damage being done is now uh, uh, so great, actually, even if he left tomorrow morning very hard for the Conservative Party to recover at this point. Just finally, because I'm going to let you go, just very finally, uh, Kieran Buckley asked if Johnson were to kick out Johnson and put on Sun Sunak, Rishi Sunak, would they shoot up in the polls? Uh, Rishi's taken a huge hit as approval ratings. It's true, he used to be much more popular than he was. People didn't really know who he was. He was associated with furlough. He is now in minuses, but he's actually less unpopular than Keir Starmer, let alone Boris Johnson, of course, he's now monstrously unpopular. What do you think about Rishi Sunak? And what do you think about the Tories' fortunes if he took over? Uh, Rishi Sunak, he's, um, he, he's, he's quite good at numbers, I think. You know, he's a former banker, is he not? Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen any talent yet for politics. Secondly, um, I... Uh, He's very damaged, as every cabinet minister is, by association with Johnson. Matthew Paris, the Times columnist, wrote a very wise article uh, a few days ago, making pointing out that everybody who has anything to do with Johnson gets contaminated. And this applies above all to, to, to Sunak, who's had to support Johnson. Did, John, did, did Sunak know about these parties? And if not, why not? He's After all, he's... Is living next door. In fact, I think I'm right in saying that Sunak's flat is actually in number 10, whereas Johnson's mm -hmm. flat is the larger flat in mm -hmm. number 11. So how did yeah. Sunak not know about these parties? And if he didn't know, how, how, 
he's, he's, and then he's lied a lot. A lot of Johnson's lies about 40 ill hospitals and uh, the national finances and so on. Sunak has mimicked. So Sunak is implicated, as they all are, in the Johnson debate. Remember, when Johnson does go, I think it's when not. If he will leave, it will be the first prime minister in British history that I can think of to actually leave office in this personal disgrace. Yeah, we've never we've had prime ministers leave office. Most famously, uh, Chamberlain, but also others peel over policy. You know, having been defeated on grave policy issues, but we have never had uh, that I can think of a prime minister who actually leaves office as now awaits Johnson in disgrace. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same. Um, Peter, that was absolutely brilliant. Everyone do, now you've listened and, or watched uh, Peter's brilliant wisdom, do get his book, if you haven't, The Assault on Truth, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump and the Emergence of a New Moral Barbarism. It's absolutely fascinating and riveting and I think puts the current scandal in the proper context it deserves. Peter... By the way, I've, I've, I've opened up a website listing the lies now. Oh, yeah. What's the website? What's the website yeah, again? Boris-Johnson-Lies.com. And I'm, Boris, I'm trying to, okay. it, it is like painting the fourth bridge, but I've got about more than 300 lies, falsehoods and misleading statements up there already. It's, you know, it's climbing all the time. I'm trying to get it up to date by the end of this month. It's an enormous amount of work, but I, I, I do urge anybody who hasn't looked at that website to have, give it, have, have a study of it. I suppose the R the R rate of Boris Johnson li- Boris Johnson's lies is exploding at the moment. Well, uh, they've been going on all along. You're right. In the last week or two, it's been, and of course, his colleagues are forced to lie on his behalf. Mm. So he drags in Truss and uh, I, 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 I say lie. I mean, I get, I'm very careful about it, but they are. You know, they have to say that he's a man of integrity or that he's he's a good prime minister or. You know, it's time to move on. And, and and so they're being dragged into this cesspit. And that is a very serious moment. I mean, I it's it's where we go from here is very interesting. Uh, but I have to say that if I was Kirstammer, I would be feeling uh, he's looking very good at the moment by comparison. Which I'm about to talk about with Matt's Arb cousin, funny enough. We've got, by the way, we've put the website at the bottom, what we did, uh, Boris-Johnson, there it is, Boris-Johnson-Lies.com. I, I will check it out. <laughs> it will be a very lengthy read, I'd imagine, but it's everyone can check it out. Quite a, yeah. But thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you so much, Peter. It's an honour as ever, and uh, really appreciate it. Take care. Uh, brilliant stuff from Peter, as ever. Before I bring in Matt, uh, just housekeeping. If you're watching live, do click on the YouTube link and press like, press subscribe, and then you'll get these videos on your phone or whatever. So you won't have to, won't have to sit around waiting for them. Also, um, do support us on Patreon. That's how the whole show's kept on the ro- road. Uh, uh, we're going to be doing lots of more documentaries, as we've been doing, thanks to your support. We're not backed by billionaires, we're backed by you. Um, and, uh, when I come back from, I'm in Barcelona writing a book at the moment. Well, I'm not at the moment, obviously I'm talking to you, but I will be finishing the book and then doing far more on the old video channel. So that's that. Oh, the podcast as well. Download the podcast and leave a rating for it. Thanks. Okay. We're going to bring in Matt's our cousin, my old companiero. Where, oh, there he hey. is. Hello, How Matt. You Very good to good see to you, see. mate. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. How's Barca? 
Bucks is good. It's nice. I'd say the weather uh, is kind of like London in April, which is fine. It's, it's all right. But I feel. I mean, it's fine. I mean, I, when I first I tweeted about it, it was probably an error. And loads of people like, because I said I'm here for kind of imposed self isolation to write the book, and people are like, oh, you, oh, you're trying to prevent you're a victim, all living in Barcelona. Oh, you poor thing, yeah, yeah. It's like, but I, I just <laughs> meant I was here to finish my book, which is yeah. three years overdue. Is it going okay? Are you nearly done? Do you want a little plug for the book? When's it out? Oh, uh, thank you for thank you for asking that. Uh, the alternative and how we get away with it out later this year. Is that what you're talking about? Is that yeah? All good bookshops and some rubbish ones as well. Where whereabouts? Uh, a lot of very bad bookshops will be set. No, all bookshops are great, of course. Um, yeah, it will come out later this year. Anyway, Matt. Right. Okay, we'll start first. Let's just start with. We will talk about Labour. I just want to see. Um, in terms of Boris Johnson, what's your? Do you think this guy? is finito because as i've said he does normally defy political gravity this is quite a big scandal and as peter obon points out it's very important to say this there's no scandal like this in modern british democratic history because you get you know like i don't know um the westland scandal with margaret thatcher but that wasn't like a personal thing but this is like the personal character uh of the prime minister and the way he's behaved that is unique so what do you think how do you think he's gone uh, it's difficult to say when you're in the eye of the storm. I think, like, having been in the eye of political storms many times when I was working for Jeremy, um, particularly around the summer of 2016, it's so, so easy to get carried away and caught up. But I think it's, you know, much more important to look at logistically how how would his resignation happen? How would it impact the party? What would be the process around that? And what are the things that are compelling him to do it? So obviously the 1922 committee is very important and the, the letters from Tory MPs going into, into the 1922 um, and triggering a vote of confidence. I don't think that that will happen before the local elections. I think the local elections, if they're bad for Boris Johnson in May, would probably precipitate more, more letters going in or enough letters going in. I think around 50 have to, have to be written. And even on that basis, I think he could survive the vote of no confidence because I think that he has a huge amount of support in the in the Tory parliamentary party. I think there's a very small contingent of not small but not not insubstantial, but a comparatively small contingent of Tory MPs who were briefing against him. But despite the the scale of of the anger and the outrage at what's happened. I can't see how he's going to. I don't. I don't see. I don't see how he's going to resign. I don't think that's. I don't think he's going to resign. And therefore, if he's not going to resign, he's going to stay, and he's going to stay until he's forced out. And I can't see him being forced out now. I also think like it's not good for the Tory party if they get rid of him now because we're about to enter into a massive cost of living crisis due in large part to energy costs rising, and I think that they'll want him to own that. Uh, I think also we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're in the middle of a potential winter uh, winter NHS crisis where, um, I mean, hopefully Omicron isn't as bad as everyone predicted, but I think that there's a lot of political issues that are around the corner that, they, that, that a potential successor would want to, Boris Johnson to sort of own before they come in. So I think the local elections is going to be quite decisive. But that said, 
he's come back from so much in the past. You know, he's he's a liar, but he's an honest. He's honest about the fact that he's a liar. He's not a liar that tries to. I know that sounds like paradoxical, but he's a liar. But he tells everyone he's a liar, and everyone sort of accepts that he's a liar, and it's almost priced in in a way. And I, I don't know. I think if the economy improves, if the energy crisis isn't as bad as everyone thinks, if the local elections aren't as bad, lots of ifs, they could survive. It is interesting, actually, that after, obviously, the big blast originally of the scandal was December, and actually, Boris Johnson's polling did actually recover quite substantially until the recent, um, it, it went up by, like, I think it was, like, 20 points. It was very low, when, but it, it climbed quite steeply. And the polling, which was obviously very bad for the Tories, had started to narrow as well, like a four-point lead, uh, three-point lead for Labour rather than what it was before, about nine points. Obviously, that's turned around. Before I talk about Labour and kind of their positioning and all of this and where next, what do you think about Rishi Sunak? Do you think Rishi Sunak is someone, if he took over... Because I remember I spoke to a Starmer, a key Starmer aide back in 2020. I don't speak to many key Starmer aides anymore, to be honest about that, but I did at the time. Um... Uh, did have uh, uh, lines of lots of lines of communication with them, and they argued that actually, you see, Sunak would be a different proposition because they thought he wouldn't go down very well in the so-called red wall, uh, but they thought actually a lot of metropolitan liberals might be swung by him in kind of places like Putney in London, which is the only seat Labour won in 2019, infamously. Because and I think the reason is odd you'd think that because you know Rishi Sunak campaigned for Brexit. But for a lot of those liberals, politics is more of a vibe than actual substance. It's like when they went on about how Jeremy Corbyn was a Brexiteer and then they all loved Rory Stewart, even though Rory Stewart was a Brexiteer. Um, do you see what I mean? So I don't know. What do you think about Rishi Sunak? Do you think actually, because his polling is actually a, is not great objectively, but it's better than both Starmer and Johnson. But then again, he's Chancellor. He's not a known kind of quantity to a lot of people. So what do you think, Rishi Sunak? Yeah, I think two things. Like, he's... <laughs> Yeah, it's a different proposition, and I think it's bad for Labour because Labour needs the Lib Dems to do well in Lib Dem Tory marginals, and they didn't do well in 2019. They, they were, you know, that, that was one of the problems is they weren't splitting the Tory vote enough, or they weren't making winning Tory seats in in those southern areas. So they are doing that now with Johnson. So that's one thing. Secondly, um, you know, I think Sunak would address that. Secondly, uh, I think that a lot of the decline in Tory support at the moment and the resulting Labour poll league is down to Tory voters switching to don't know because of a uh, quite a lot of anger with Johnson, which if Johnson goes, the anger you would assume would also go. I mean, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a problem with the Tory brand yet. And I think like perhaps, you know, slight contrast to what Peter was saying, I, I think that if they change the leader, you end up with this massive, when the Tories change a leader, and they do it, they've done it quite frequently in the last 11 years, you have, you have this massive honeymoon period where the entire media, and in some respects the country, just sort of projects what they want onto this particular leader. We had it with Theresa May. Look at the honeymoon that Theresa May had when she had like a 20-point lead in 2016 and then going into 2017 into the election. And then as soon as she ran into reality, with the reality of a general election, that poll league got eaten up. So I think that actually, um, I think that actually, yeah, the, uh, there's, there's every reason to suspect that 
that that, that, that those don't knows would switch would switch back, um, which I think is is not great for Labour. So I think that the, the until until um, the the problems with the Labour Party until the problems with the the Conservative Party are more structural and the brand is tainted to the extent that people that don't know switch to Labour because they're just fed up of all Tories, um, then I don't think that, that Labour are going to make you know, inroads that are necessary. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that what they do very effectively, the Tories, is that they come up with this sort of method of maintaining power over a long period of time, which is to change the leader every few years. And it's pretty similar to what Chelsea Football Club do. They change the manager every few years. And it's like having a new government. And that's what, if it's Sunak, that's what it will be. It will be a new government, the new agenda. And then you'll have this massive honeymoon period. I mean, already, like, you know, the BBC are quite keen to kind of build him up. They have done in the past. They've, like, mocked him up as Superman. Um, so you, this, is, this is what will happen. And, it, yeah, it's a very, very different prospect. And I think that very, very quickly it starts to tap into those um, southern constituents. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm going to start by uh, defending Keir Starmer. Now, in the interest of fairness, because people are, oh, you're so horrible to Keir Starmer. Leave him alone. What's he ever done to you? Apart from just run a completely dishonest leadership campaign and abandon all the promises that he made to become leader of the Labour Party. Anyway, but I'm going to start by defending him because, so I've, I've got a clip here. This is him on, I was going to say Ma, but it's not Ma anymore because he's gone on Sophie Rayworth's programme. Anyway, whatever it's called. Here he is. Have you broken COVID rules? No, I haven't. So what is that photograph that has a lot of people will have seen, has been on the front pages, it's uh, took, taken last year, end of April, begin, beginning of May. Just, just explain what that was. Happily. I was in a constituency office just days before the election. We were very busy. We were working in the office. Um, and we stopped for something to eat. And then we carried on working. That is the long, the short of it. No party, no breach of the rules, and absolutely no comparison with the Prime Minister. And, but there um, were rules in place. You, this was step two uh, guidelines at the time. No person may participate in a gathering in the step two area, which consists of two or more people and takes place indoors unless it's reasonably necessary for work pur- purposes. 
we were in the office, the constituency office. It was days before the election. We were very busy. We were working. Um, at some point, some food turned up. We stopped. We had our food, and then we carried on working. That is not a breach of the rules. It's not a party, and it is no comparison to the prime minister. Drinking and the fact a beer, but drinking a beer is that reasonably necessary for work purposes? We, we'd stopped to eat a takeaway whilst we were working in the office, and then we carried. on. Yeah, I mean, I think this is desperate, to be honest. I think I've seen, obviously, the I can't remember the mayor went on this. I actually do think this is a pretty desperate attack because obviously there was rampant partying by the people who designed the rules um, and they're trying to muddy the water. I think this is pretty desperate. I think it was kind of a creep shot as well, kind of weird, creepy shots of... So I'm going to defend him. That's that's my defence of Keir Starmer done. So um, before... <laughs> now what we're going to talk about, what you just mentioned um, was the polling, which is important, about where the polling is going. So a lot of people now are... Because me and you have not... I think it's been fair to say, particularly enamoured with Keir Starmer's leadership. For the reasons I've said, he stood on a platform of of radical domestic polities, uh, party unity, um, you know, both those key pledges that he abandoned. He basically wanted to be competent Corbyn as he would have portrayed it. That's how he portrayed it. And then abandoned all of that kind of quite radically. But there are people now saying to us, well, you've both been proven wrong because you said the polling was terrible for Labour under Keir Starmer. He's not electable. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, the po- the polling collapse hasn't been caused by Keir Starmer. It's been caused by the Tories essentially dousing themselves with petrol and setting themselves on fire. So the point you made, and this is a really important point, I'm going to show a graph here for people who are listening on the podcast. What it shows is what has happened to the 2019 Tory vote. Now, what it shows is the Tories have kept 47% of their vote, which is not great. They've lost 33% to apathy. So 33% of their 2019 vote have gone to don't know. 6% have gone to reform UK, which is the Brexit party reinvented. They should have kept the Brexit party. I mean, it's just a rubbish name, but anyway, there you have it. Uh, Labour have only got 5% of that vote and the Lib Dems have got 4%. So actually, I mean, they've lost, more of the Tory vote has actually gone to reform which is not even, it's barely registering in the opinion polls. Um, and about as much has gone to the Lib Dems, which is not necessarily bad for Labour, as you pointed out, because actually you, in certain marginals, that is actually, you know, they're Tory Lib Dem marginals. But what that graph shows isn't people going, I'm really angry with the Conservatives, and now I'm going to take my vote over to the Labour Party. It's people going, I'm not voting at the moment. I'm not, I'm too angry to vote for the Conservatives, but I'm not taking my vote elsewhere. That's not necessarily good at all from Labour's perspective, because in a general election campaign, a lot of those will just go back to the Conservatives because they'll think, well, it's a choice between Labour and I don't like Keir Starmer. And just quickly on his approval ratings, you know, oh no, wrong one. Here we go. That was an old, that was an old one. Let me find it. Sorry. His, his latest approval ratings are down to minus 19, basically. They're down to minus 19. Uh, which is a lot better than Boris Johnson, but it just says how bad Boris Johnson's are. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? They're not doing what they yeah. said they do, which is winning over Tory voters. That was the whole point. They're not winning them over. Yeah, exactly. So I think, like, really, the, the Conservatives, I think, will, will keep Johnson for as long as they can, um, for as long as he doesn't damage the Tory brand. So, uh, you know, I think that it's probably the local elections will be the flashpoint. I may be wrong. I mean, they might keep him until the, the last six months to, to the next general election. If that's the case, 
then you've got an unpopular Labour leader, which I'm sorry, it's just that's just what the polling says. It's that he's an unpopular Labour leader. He's not winning over disaffected Tories, not yet anyway. Um, and the new Tory leader, who's probably more capable of winning back those don't knows than Keir Starmer is of winning them. So you've not got a Labour leadership that's doing what Corbyn tried to do and did with some success in 2017, which is like expand the electorate um, and, you know, have propositional offer, which actually did end up winning over um, a lot of uh, a lot of Tory voters as well. Um, so you haven't got that. So therefore, you've got this kind of neo-Blairite strategy, which is don't say an awful lot, look the part, look like you are uh, acceptable to to capital and to you know big business and um, and the media, uh, the right wing media, acceptable enough anyway. Apart from the Daily Mail, obviously, which did run that attack story, um, and then pick up people because the government will implode. Now, that only works if Johnson continues to implode and if he stays till the next general election. So I think it's really high risk. I mean. It is not a vindication of Keir Starmer that the government has self-immolated. That that is that is just uh, you know that's the part that's at this stage of the electoral electoral cycle. You know, yeah, they might be ahead in the polls, but you know, the only poll that matters, a cliche, the only poll that matters is the general election. And what are they doing to lay the groundwork for winning a general election, knowing that either Johnson will recover, and you know we know what you can do in an election campaign or B, uh, there's a new leader, which is basically like a new government and you have a, a, a clean slate and a honeymoon period. And if that is in the lead up to the next election, like Johnson was, where like he didn't have time to screw anything up. All he did was put the Brexit deal to parliament. It got rejected and they called an election. I mean, look, you had the whole vote leave contingent in uh, involved in number 10 at, the, at that time. And that was the plan, you know, they, they were just, but that, but the point is, Johnson was still in his honeymoon period then. So I, I can't see how this is a sustainable strategy for winning an election. It might be like good fun for now, you know, Labour ahead in the polls and all this sort of stuff. But like that, I think that will get eaten up. Hope I'm wrong, but I think it will just get eaten up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's interesting. A lot of the, the same people who say, well, actually the Tories self-immolating which they have done complete disgrace and people are understandably furious because obviously they couldn't hold the hands of their dying relatives they were separated from their loved ones eight million people live alone often horrible stretches of loneliness whilst the government were getting absolutely battered in number 10 um getting smashed and doing who knows what i don't even want to think about it um hmm. um but but i think what's interesting is the same people who were pretending that labor have done this as though Starmer, people needed Starmer to get angry about the party gate. Like, it doesn't need any explanation. It just stands on its own terms as a terrible, terrible behaviour. They're the same people who go, well, the only reason Labour got 40% in 2017 is because the Tories ran a terrible campaign. But obviously at the time, that's, I mean, that's just not, it wasn't, the Tories ran a bad campaign because Labour ran a good campaign. Like the dementia tax at the time was uh, framed by the Mail as a great, brilliant policy. It was only when it was portrayed as the dementia tax that that had a, you know, a, pro, a you know an impact. There were two terrorist attacks, which, to be honest, in a campaign in which the opposition was being portrayed as terrorist supporters, obviously helped the government. And also, the polling showed the policies 
were absolutely pivotal and even MPs hostile at the time. I'm not doing this to relitigate 2017. I'm just saying it's just no. interesting that those same people now go, well, actually, this, you know, and obviously this is entirely the Tories. I just, just on, on just some other things. Um, I'm just looking, so I forgot super chat. Well, I'll read out people's super chat. Um, I'll thank everyone at the end. So keep them coming in. Yeah, Craig Berkey says, Blair survived the dodgy dossier scandal that took us to warn the false pretenses. Boris will survive this. They said they'll cut taxes in the next election. The reason I'm sceptical about that, I know we're jumping around, but people are putting these questions in, which I'm happy to answer, obviously. A war should matter more, like the mass murder of hundreds of thousands of people. It's not how politics works. People are just, whether you like, whether you like it or not, the, this has cut through because it just has for, for in the way politics works. I, I mean, I'm interested because Rishi Sunak, I think if he took over, he'd scrap the national insurance hike, wouldn't he? He'd do stuff like that to reboot. So, I mean, that's the, the you know, we saw, the, we saw what happened with Thatcher. She won a th- an even bigger majority than Johnson in 1987. She was ejected when she was seen as a liability and replaced with John Major, who seems quite dull, but he won against Kinnock. And that's the problem, mm. isn't it? That's why Labour need a positive vision that resonates with people rather than think it will just fall into their lap. Yeah, it's it's why it's why they need a transformative offer. Look, in 1997, they had a transformative offer. They did. They had windfall tax on energy companies. They had, you know, obviously minimum wage. Minimum wage. Yeah, um, they had uh, so many different transformative policies that were, you know, to a degree radical for the time. And uh, they need that offer again. Now, okay, you could argue, okay, it's too early to be pulling forward policies and this sort of stuff. But I, I feel like post financial crisis Blairism is much more. It's, it's more moderate and it's more like, I think um, it's less risk averse than it was in, 90, in the 90s. I don't know. I just think it's a different proposition. And actually what you need is the opposite because in the 90s, you know, the new Labour inherited a growing economy and, you know, house prices were affordable for most people. And they had, there's lots of things that about the 90s, which meant that you didn't necessarily need the kind of economic transformation that you could argue you need now. So Blairism has become less radical um, at the time when it actually needs to be more radical. So I feel like there's less of a reason to vote Labour than there is to, to not vote Tory at the moment. And, and until that changes, then that's what will happen. You'll just get the Tory vote going to don't know and then going back to the Tories. Like I do think they need to be propositional if they're going to, so these guys are up for grabs now, these voters. This is the opportunity. This, is, this really is the opportunity to win people over and as a party. And, uh, you know, for, I think Keir Starmer, if he, if he became synonymous and associated with some really, really popular policies and people understood where, what he, who he was as a politician, not just as a man or, a, a, you know, a, his aesthetic and like how his, you know, how he comes across and his personality even, but who, what his politics are, who he is as a politician, then people might feel like they can warm to him. But at the moment it's like, no one really knows what he stands for. And you know, you mentioned before, like we haven't been happy with Starmer. Okay. But he did stand on a platform of 2017 being our foundational document, the manifesto in 2017 of party unity. And has, you know, as it happens, he's sort of called the uh, internal factional war on the left 
in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, obviously, because he wants to attack the Conservatives and it's a great opportunity to. And as a result of that, the polls have improved. So, you know, that, that tells you something as well. That, you know, I think he's been badly advised by people around him that are clearly wanting to reenact, um, you know, their, their glory years in the 90s. Uh, but without any of the transformative policies or the vision that they had in the 90s. So I think it's um, yeah, it's the worst of all worlds at the moment. But look, he's ahead in the polls. Let's see if he wins over the don't knows. I don't see why how he can if he's not giving people a reason to vote Labour. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's the problem. I mean, that point you made as well about, you know, people, you know, oh, you have it in for Starmer. I, I mean, I wrote a column, which actually still peep some people on the left have a go with me over i didn't vote for him i voted for rebecca long bailey but when he won i wrote a column saying you know you know fair play get everyone should unite around him he stood on you know radical domestic policies part of unity wish him well hope he you know it's, it's only when he abandoned those promises that people like myself yeah. went sour on it but that's the issue i, was, you know, I, I, I mean i mean like in in, in the initial campaign um because i worked on rebecca's campaign and uh like it was impossible to find points of policy difference with him like it was like something that we were trying to do and we were trying to draw him out and then you had the 10 pledges and that just became <laughs> impossible so we were trying to like show that rebecca was you know going to preserve many of the gains that the policy gains that, and the direction of travel that took place under under jeremy corbyn and you know some of the most popular policies and of his agenda would be preserved and and you know that they may be at risk under Keir Starmer, right? And it was incredibly difficult to show that. I mean, you can't tell people that because they won't believe you. So you have to show them. And in order to show them, you have to draw draw the other candidate out. And the only thing we drew out of him were the 10 pledges. And he's practically reneged on all of them. So I don't want to get into all of this now. Right. I, I shouldn't really. But it, it, just, just as a point, you know, that was what was promised. And you know, I think if I think a return, more of a return to that would actually be in the Labour Party's interest. I've always said this, like. The, the, the issue is not the, the agenda, but you could argue that the agenda, because it is left considered left wing, it wouldn't it would alienate the right wing media and they want the legitimacy of the right wing media because their strategy is to wait for the government to implode and for them to appear to be the safe pair of hands for the capital and for all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that that's that's what I think that they're more keen on. Um, but again, like if anyone, if you asked anyone in the street, what policy do you associate with Keir Starmer? I don't think they'd be able to tell you other than maybe remain in the European Union. Well, the British recovery bond. Remember that, everyone? Like, <laughs> no one remembers it. But yeah, I mean, just finally, you're right. I mean, I think what's absolutely key for Labour is to look at the by-elections. We've obviously lost Batley. Uh, sorry, didn't lose Batley and Spend. Barely kept on to Batley and Spend, but obviously lost in Hartlepool. And what the problem there was is they weren't winning over voters um, who left Labour in 2019, but they were also alienating existing parts of Labour's coalition. In Batley and Spen, that was particularly Muslims, Labour Muslim voters who'd voted Labour all their lives. I spoke to them. I mean, you know, they they were angry with Labour and a lot of younger people. And And, you know, you've got to, as you say, expand the electorate. You've got to get people to come out and feel they're voting for something. Um, otherwise, yeah. Matt, that was brilliant. That was fantastic stuff. Good to good oh, to see thanks. you. Again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to no, see you, mate. Yeah, catch up soon. Yeah, and we'll um we'll have we'll have drinks in Blighty when I'm back. Perfect. Good luck with the writing of the book. Thanks, mate. And uh, it's, a, it's a slog. I'm looking forward to it.
one. Everyone follow Matt on Twitter as well. It's uh, Matt Zarb. Was it Matt ZC? I can't remember. Is it Matt Zarb? Uh, it's Matt Zarb. Matt Zarb. It is Matt yeah, Zarb, yeah. yeah. Matt Zarb, two Ts. Thanks. All right. Bless you, buddy. Cheers. Take care of yourself. All Thanks. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Uh, great stuff. Cracking stuff from Matt as ever. Um, oh, yeah. Just finally, uh, I missed... Uh, this is important, actually. I obviously wasn't in London, um, but... Uh, so, I missed... Uh, the protests against the police bill, which took place in uh, across the country, actually. Now, this is really, really, really important. Um, I wrote a column about this earlier this um, this year. Obviously, it was only January, so earlier earlier this month, I'll say. Um, th- what the policing bill does, for those who don't know, is give the ability to essentially criminalise all protests in this country. Uh, for being too noisy, for causing specific annoyance. They allow stop and search of protesters without any suspicion or stop and search within the area of the protest. So anyone, um, they grant sweeping powers to the state to decide which protests are allowed. Um, now, what they did, we can see already, they, they're trying to use the, the kind of backlash against Insulate Britain. Insulate Britain are obviously a group which conducts peaceful civil disobedience. You might not like them or like what they do, but that is a long tradition in this country. Lots of our rights and freedoms were won like that. I, I think the climate emergency is a slightly bigger problem, given it's an existential threat to human civilization than obviously people being delayed on motorways. But nonetheless, people are angry about insulate Britain and that they're trying to tap into that. Now, this is dangerous because we are heading in the kind of direction of somewhere like Hungary, where you get, I mean, in Hungary is ruled by a party called Fidesz which is a centre-right party, used to be part of the, sorry, was a centre-right party, used to be a member of the Liberal International, and they've become a far-right, essentially, dictatorship. They've trashed democracy, they've hollowed out civil society, uh, they've used culture wars and racism in order to achieve their ends, sound familiar? And, you know, they've clamped down on basic rights and freedoms, and we can just see that, uh, you know, we're not we're not like Hungary yet. Uh, <laughs> a low bar there, isn't it? But we are becoming an ever more authoritarian and undemocratic country under the Conservatives. Um, you know, this is you know it's, it's another example. Banning audit. They can ban anyone convicted of more than one protest-related offence and be going to protest for years. Uh, if they sit, you know, people attaching themselves to others um, uh, or the ground of an object, which is the most kind of cliched civil disobedience thing ever, they now face imprisonment. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and, and you get these Tory MPs who talk about restrictions for COVID-related purposes, public health measures, as being, you know, as Marcus Fish said, a Tory MP, we're not a paper society. This is not Nazi Germany, ridiculous hyperbole. It's a thin end of an authoritarian wedge. Tim Loughton, we're not a society in which we ask for papers and deprive people of their liberty. These chumps went and voted for the bill which criminalises protest in this country. Anyway... Do Google, look up Kill the Bill, uh, which is the movement which is uh, fighting against the legislation, which is going to go through the House of Lords. Um, It's really important people stand up and fight this because our rights and freedoms were won by the struggle and sacrifice of our ancestors on whose shoulders we stand. Um, And it's not for us to just meekly sit around whilst those rights and freedoms which are hard won are just taken off us. So we should fight back. So look up Kill the Bill and do support them. Um, as uh, Tad, I'm just going to finish. Tad Campbell says, over the last few weeks, 100 years ago, the end of British rule in Ireland has been happening, culminating with a handover of Dublin Castle 
to the Irish provisional government led by Michael Collins. There you go. I'm going to thank everyone who did uh, Super Chats, including Tad, David Barreter, Kieran Buckley, Craig Berkey, Peter O'Donovan, uh, John McKenzie. Thank you so much, everybody. And thanks for our brilliant guests. That was great. I enjoyed it. And, you know, I do think it's important we talk about the horrific scandal embroiling the Tories and Labour's prospects. That might annoy some people, but, you know, we just need to be honest about politics as we see it. And that's what we've done. But we will monitor the situation on the show in the weeks ahead. We've got loads of shows and interviews to come. So, and from February, when I finish my book, we'll be doing far more on the channel. Um, do support us on patreon.com, Owen Jones 84. Uh, press subscribe on YouTube, press like, good for the algorithm, or watch it and listen to our podcast as well. Right, back to my book. Lots of love, everyone. See you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road, uh, forward slash Jones 84 Leave us some stars, that'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. <laughs>